0: You guys, today I'm welcoming my new friend, Carol, onto the podcast. Now, Carol is the first person that I've interviewed that I didn't really know beforehand. She was actually someone that was recommended to be interviewed on the podcast, which is so cool. Um, But I'm just so excited that I got the opportunity to to talk to her and now become her friend. I'm gonna tell you a little bit more about Carol before we get into the episode. So Carol is the Team Development Coordinator in Children's Ministry at Northbrook Church. Her and her husband John have been married for 34 years. They have three adult children, two son-in-laws and five grandchildren with another one coming soon. Carol is passionate about keeping vulnerable children and women safe and she seeks practical ways to provide them with hope. She volunteers as an advocate for children and women in her community and church and Carol is an author. She wrote a book called The Day That I Got Thrown Away, which will be linked in um, the details below so you guys can all check it out. In her free time, she loves reading, writing, kayaking, and spending time with her family and friends, especially her grandchildren. You guys, I cannot wait for you guys to get the chance to meet Carol and hear about her bravest moment. Hello, and welcome to Be Brave with Emma B. I'm Emma, your host, and I'm so excited that you're here. In a world that fills us with stories of fear and anxiety, I'm here to share stories of bravery and fearlessness. I'm bringing on some of the bravest people I know and sharing some stories of my own to show you why anyone can choose to be brave if they have faith and surround themselves with encouraging people. So come along, let's be brave together. Hi, Carol. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Emma. Thank you ha- for having me.
0: I'm, I'm really excited to have this conversation. I'm going to start off our show a little bit different than I usually do because as we talked about before this, I've heard of you. I've heard amazing things about you from so many people in my life, but I haven't gotten a chance to know you other than just talking before we just got started. So could you tell the listeners just a little bit more about your background and who you are?
1: Sure. Thank you. And I'm humbled that you have heard wonderful things about me from other people. So a little bit about myself as I've I've been married to my husband, it'll be 35 years in June and a very loving husband who I'm thankful for. And we have three adult children and we have five grandchildren and their sixth grandchild is expected to arrive um, in the middle of February. And I love children. I currently work at Northbrook Church and NB kids in the children's ministry area And my passion is looking for ways to provide hope to people who are vulnerable. And yeah, that's, if you see me, a lot of times you'll see me with children because I love them. I love spending time with my grandchildren.
0: That is awesome. Super exciting. Sixth one on the way. That's awesome. That's so cool. So cool. Well, thank you so much for just giving us a little glimpse into your life. I am now going to ask the question that we ask everybody in the podcast. And that is... Carol, what is the bravest thing that you've ever done?
1: Well, that's a great question, Emma. And the the way I would answer that is the bravest thing that I've ever done is to face my past.
0: Well, I need to know more about this. So I guess, what do you mean by facing your past? Could you tell me a little bit more about your past and what exactly you had to face?
1: Sure. So back in 2006, I started having flashbacks to my childhood of sexual abuse, Mm. and I was in a place where I was feeling like I wasn't able to function normally as far as my everyday things, because I was so overwhelmed when they were hitting me later learning that it's post-traumatic stress disorder was hitting me from all that. And so I realized facing my past, what that meant was I needed to do something about it to get me help that would look like finding a counselor, um, more than one counselor I know I have seen, finding a counselor, people to walk alongside me to help me to heal so that I could move from being a victim to a survivor. And my, my heart was to be able to thrive and knowing that within that, I would need God's help. Ultimately, I would need him leading me to the right people mm. to walk with me on this journey.
0: Wow. So I have to ask, How did you recognize that you needed help at that time? Like, what were some signals? Because I think in this day and age, I, I do think there's a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of really intense mental health things going on with a lot of different people. But I think sometimes it's hard to differentiate between like, okay, like, I'm going to get through this. And a lot of times I think in Christian culture, we can be like, okay, well, if I just trust God, then this is going to go away. Or if I, if I read my Bible every day, then eventually that things are going to get better. And I think that's kind of a misconception because I do believe that God gives us so many of those resources that you just spoke about to help us. Like he gives us these earthly things to help us. So what was the point where you were like, okay, I can't do this by myself anymore. I need to go get help.
1: That's a, that's another great question. So what began happening was I began to become fearful of my husband, who there was no reason ever to become fearful of him in our relationship. So it began to affect our relationship. And what I mean by that is I would be triggered if he would hug me or kiss me, different things would happen. And it was nothing to do with him. It wasn't his fault, but it was because I was having these flashbacks these moments were, and I would go back to like when I was a child, when I would have those feelings would come. And so it was interfering with my life. I was becoming overcome by fear in our relationship. And I knew that I knew I needed help because I didn't want to stay in that place. I knew my husband wasn't someone to be feared.
0: Right. Right. Wow. I just have to take a moment to kind of like just lean into all these things you're saying, because it's just, I mean, I don't think a lot of people recognize like, hey, this is getting to this point where I'm not living the kind of life I want to live. But I think that's a really hard thing to recognize. Mm -hmm. So then you find a counselor, you said you had some other supports in your life. What was that process like of finding a counselor and then leaning on I believe you said the church right you had some mm-hmm. church resources what was that process like like walk me through i guess getting started and then starting really working through some of that really intense childhood trauma that you had to go through sure
1: so i was actually in a mops program at northbrook at the church at the time and mothers of preschoolers is what it okay. was called and and During that time, they were offering a class um, to women um, who were struggling in their marriage. And to be honest, I didn't think I was struggling in my marriage. And then um, they talked about it again. And I thought, well, actually, I guess I am struggling in my marriage because I'm becoming afraid of my husband and I'm, I'm becoming distant. Mm-hmm. And so I decided I was going to take this class but I will have you know that I had a lot of shame at first because I was like thinking oh people are going to think that I'm having problems I was worried about what other people thought and then when I went to the first class I knew that I knew that's where I needed to be and the lady who led that class she actually was a licensed um, therapist and so you know every time at the end of the class I'd be thinking I should go talk to her I should go talk to her but my shame and my fear kept me from doing that. While the last class, I decided that my heart was just thumping and thumping because I thought, what if this is a person God's brought to help me and I don't ever see her again? So I went up to her and I asked her, would you be willing to meet with me because I'm having some struggles? And so she asked me just a couple of questions, what that looked like. And she said, yes, I'd be happy to meet with you. So we met actually at Elmbrook Church and she that's where I began the process. She actually gave me good questions to mm-hmm. ask, to call therapists, to ask them if to see if it would be a good fit for me, which was so helpful because this is such a scary journey to go and find someone. Yes. Um, she also, I had, she also said she would begin looking for with me for a Christian counselor, because I, I knew that I loved God and I, and I thought I trusted God at that point. Right. And my my faith was really tested through all this. And I do trust God now, even more than I did then because of what, where he's brought me at this point in my life through this journey. So she was a big help to me, but I actually thought God was going to use her to be the one to find me, the Christian counselor.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: one day when she, when she um, emailed me and said, I'm sorry, I still haven't found anyone. Have you found one? I actually was just really discouraged. And I thought, how am I going to do this, God? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought you were going to use her. I was getting frustrated. And I was reading in Psalms, and it, I believe it was Psalm 173. I don't remember the exact verse, which I, I wish I did have it written down right now. But it, it reminded me that God was going to be with me and that He was going to walk with me through this journey. And so I remember after I read that verse just crying and saying, Okay, God. I guess I need you to help me. And I went to my computer and just started looking up for therapists in my local area. And, and then I called, I called, you know, for insurance to make sure that covered it because that's costly. And when I found out that it did, I, I contacted them. The, the therapist called me back and I asked her the questions that were given to me to see if it would be a good fit for me. And right away I knew that this was a good starting place for me. And, and it was ended up being the right fit.
0: Wow. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all those different pieces, because I think there's so much about your story that I think is really going to just resonate with listeners for so many reasons. First of all, I think finding a counselor and finding someone that you trust to really, because if you think about it, when you go see a therapist, you are basically dishing out the most vulnerable pieces of your life. And I think people yeah. kind of just like brush aside, like, oh, just go find a therapist or find a mental health like practitioner. And that's a really big step. So I'm just like, first of all, I'm so encouraged by the fact that you took that step. So thanks for sharing that. You said one thing, I you said a couple of things that I want to ask about, but one thing you said, I trust God, at least I thought I did. Mm-hmm. What did you mean by that? Well,
1: uh, during part of my journey, several parts of my journey, I guess, to be honest, I've wrestled with God. And what I mean by wrestling with God is, you know, I've had to ask him some really hard questions. I've yelled at God, I've screamed at God, I've cried. And as a child growing up, I always thought it was wrong to ever question God that, you know, that that was like wrong or bad behavior or Mm -hmm. sinful. And, and as I have been going through this journey, I realized that You know, I spent my time, I would say I've lived in the Psalms in the Bible, because that's where David would pour out his heart to God. And so that gave me permission to do the same. I would ask God really, really difficult questions. One of the questions I asked God during part of this journey was, where were you? Where were you? I remember screaming that at him one day. And I'll never forget the still small voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to me and saying, I was there and I was weeping." And to me, that was huge because God's word says he'll never leave us or forsake us. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, then where were you? Mm -hmm. Where were you? And I think about my father's heart and how it broke his heart because he had to witness what happened to me. Mm -hmm. And yet he knew that he could take the very thing that was meant for evil and, and destruction in my life. And he could turn it around and he could bring healing and redemption. And I could, my story would hopefully be of encouragement and hope to other people that he can do the same for them.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm already just so encouraged by the things you're sharing. I mean, I I think it's really vulnerable for you to share that you were like mad at God because like you said I think think that's something that people just assume if you have a good relationship with God that you don't fight with him but it's like if you think about it think about our most intimate and close relationships like we fight with those people I think it's the I think it's the people that we hold more at a distance like those are the people that we don't fight with because they don't know the ins and outs of our life but like it totally makes sense, but I think it's fun. like, it's a one-sided battle with God because like, he's gonna, he's gonna love us no matter how much we yell and scream. Right. right.
1: And so how it made me trust him, I think get back to, to finish that part of your question was, yeah. so I, I was like, I knew I needed God. I needed my faith to help me in this journey. I knew to keep my head above and to be able to, to be able to survive at that point I was surviving. And so I went to the scriptures. Like I said, I lived in the Psalms. And so what I did was I said, God, can I trust you? I asked God those hard questions. I also did a lot, a lot of journaling. So I would journal out the, write out these questions, which was very therapeutic for me. I know there's research on journaling and the impact of how it is to journal, to actually write out your thoughts and your questions. So I would write out my questions to God and I would say, are you trustworthy? And then I would go to the scriptures and I would find, and I found in Psalm, one of the verses is in Psalm 111, 7, that says the works of his hands are faithful and just, all his precepts are trustworthy, which meant to me all his precepts, his his scripture, his promises, they're trustworthy, but tells me that he is trustworthy. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: I I thought, okay, I'm going to put my faith and my hope and my trust in God, and he's going to be with me through this. And he's going to help me and lead me and guide me. And like I said, when I met with the ther- therapist for the first time, it was evident that that is where God wanted me to be.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I want to like touch on a- something you had said earlier too, about the fact that like you got so frustrated with God because you thought he put that specific lady that was in that group. You thought, that was who was going to lead you to find the person that you could share all these things with and help help you work through these things that were really hard for you and you're like this is it this is the god moment mm-hmm. and then you later found out that that wasn't actually the god moment that i mean it was but it also wasn't as like direct as you thought how mm-hmm. did you like work through and persevere through that disappointment and then still was like okay God still wants something out of this. So I need to persevere and find someone else. Like how, how did you wrestle with that?
1: That's another great question. So I guess the way I would answer that is that I knew I was in such a place of survival mode Mm
2: -hmm. that
1: I was really desperate. I was like, "I, I can't keep living like this. And God did give me direction to meet this lady who gave me direction, even though she was unable to find a counselor for me, she gave me questions. Mm -hmm. really good questions. And I wish I had them written down right now with me. I don't, she gave me questions to ask the therapist based on what she knew about me, if that would be a good fit for me.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I knew that my next step was I had to make the call. And yes, I was afraid to make that phone call. And it was more, to be honest, it was my pride because in my community where I live, you know, people know me. And I thought, what if someone sees me going into an office? What are they going to think about me? And I think now in my life, this is how many years later, it doesn't really matter what people think. But I think there's a, such a stigma and maybe more so even then, but there's a stigma with mental health issues
2: mm-hmm.
1: that someone might see me walking into a, an office where people are treated for anxiety or depression or trauma. And I was afraid of that. But so I had to overcome that by just making that first phone call. So I would encourage anyone listening that if they're in that place, to that, you don't have to feel shame to reach out for help.
0: Is there anything like practical or spiritual or both that you did to kind of work through that shame you were feeling? Because I think that's something that a lot of people experience when they're taking that step to get help. Um, do you have any like practical advice for how to get through that?
1: That's a great question. I need to think about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, please do. I guess what I would I would say is. Because I had chosen to put my faith in God to help me with this, I continued to spend time in the scripture and I would, in my journal, again, I'd write it out. So it would be, get inside of me even more. I'd read the Bible, but then I would write out the scriptures that were helping me to remember that God was trustworthy, that he would never leave me or forsake me. And then when I actually went to my first appointment, maybe this might, might help answer this question. I remember going in and I remember being so nervous going in. Of course, I was already carrying so much PTSD. So, just that anxiety itself, right?
2: Mm-hmm. But then
1: on top of it, I had the anxiety of what if someone sees me who knows me in my community? Mm-hmm. So, what I had to fill out all this paperwork when I was in there and before I met with the therapist. And the therapist, the very first thing she said to me when she welcomed me into her office was, Hi, Carol. Before we can begin, I see that you attend Northbrook Church, and I also attend Northbrook Church. I just want to know if that will be a problem for you. Mm, And because of my history, I had worked in psychiatry years before I had worked in the Department of Psychiatry in another state. And so I knew I knew some things I could say I can neither, neither confirm nor deny that statement, meaning she couldn't acknowledge me as her client. Mm -hmm. So if I was to see her at church, I knew I wasn't going to like go up to her and, you know, she couldn't tell people that she was seeing me or anything like that.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And right away, I just said to her, oh, no, I said, that actually gives me great comfort to know that even though you never know, just because someone attends a church where they're at in their faith journey. Right. Mm -hmm. But I felt like that was like an affirmation to me from God that this was a a safe place for me to begin. And I'll never forget, she started off our very first session and she said, would it be okay if I prayed with you? I don't usually pray with people, but I just want to ask, would that be okay? And she did. And her prayer was that she invited God into it. the three of us. She acknowledged that the three of us would be in this session together. Mm -hmm. And I just can't tell you how comforting that was to know that my faith and my God was sitting with me through this whole This whole journey, even including with my therapist.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's a total God wink. Like, I call them God winks when God's kind of like, hey, like, I got you. And the fact that, I mean, it's not like we attend a very small church, but at the same time, like, it's a big community. Mm -hmm. Just kind of, I mean, that doesn't happen by just coincidence. And I love the fact that you said that God was like with you in those sessions because I think that's like the most comforting thing is to like, Cause he is there and it, but it's sometimes hard to imagine him being there. And sometimes like I'll have this vision. Like I can remember when, so I've talked a little bit about my mom on this podcast, but my mom struggled with addiction. And I remember at the really low points, like sitting in my car, I could almost like visualize like Jesus, like sitting next to me in the car and just kind of like putting his arm around me. And even Mm -hmm. though I couldn't like physically feel it, I just like could tell, I'm like, you are here with me. And I know you are all the time, but like Mm -hmm. right now I can, I can almost like see you. And I just think that's, I'd love that your therapist invited him into that session. That's like really, really special.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I felt like that was like an affirmation that yes, this is going to be the therapist that I need to work with. Cause she, yeah. cause she was put she also had her faith in God.
0: So cool. What were some like tools that she gave you to like work through? Like, obviously it was your session. So you don't need to share like what specifically but were there any like really good tools for people listening who maybe have are going through ptsd or maybe they're going through some other form of mental illness did she give you any like really practical things for you to work on
1: so that's another great question so with in with this particular therapist that i worked with she met with me weekly for a while and then bi-weekly and then monthly And because of the the stage where I was at, because of the things I was experiencing coming at me so much, she actually asked me if I felt comfortable journaling these experiences that I had and then reading them to her. And she said, that's totally up to, up to me. And I said, actually, I will, because I am a journaler and I think it would help. She said, "If, if you think this would help you to get it out, it's, it's one way. So I would read, I would go to my sessions and I would you know, write down my flashbacks, the trauma I had been through and I would read it to her and we would cry together and she'd speak truth into the things that happened to me. So as far as, as, as far as her giving me tools, it was to help me just to be able to get out of the, the victimhood and kind of help me survive at that point, which was huge because when your brain is so overwhelmed by trauma, it's really hard to be able to to function like you used to, because it's hard to be able to think about other things and other people around you because you're in such a place of kind of almost like shock, I would say.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So, so the tools she helped me, you know, what she was a, a listener and someone who, who spoke truth. So that was, that's in, that that's in one part of my journey of mm-hmm. of therapy, yeah.
2: that is, yeah. you know,
1: I I can talk about another psychologist if you would like. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, Yeah.
0: I'd love to. I I find those like tools can be, not only is it just cool to hear like from your point of view, like what you learned, but I also think it's like cool to just because I guess the reality is a lot of people like, don't have access to therapists right now because they're going through, we're going through such a mental health crisis in our country. So I think the more like practical tools. So I do want to touch on just that first therapist. What kind of truth did she speak in your life? Like when you say she spoke truth, um, was she speaking from the Bible? What was she doing?
1: Well, speaking the truth that what happened to me wasn't my fault. Got it. Which that is a really huge thing. And And so as I share more with you of my story, just realized that this was like in 2007, probably when I started the therapy okay. and with her and how long it took me to believe that because I had been told that that I was the one who was the, the home wrecker. I was the one who had an affair with a married man as a child. Yeah. So I was blamed for all this. So I hear I carried this and believe this lie for so many years. So I, it's very hard to grasp that. The truth that you're not the one who did this when you're the child.
0: Absolutely. Even
1: though perpetrators will put the blame on you and your, your, your brain isn't developed enough to even be able to process that.
0: Mm -hmm. Can I ask how old were you?
1: I was between the age of 11 to 15.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's a, I mean, those are, I mean, not that all childhood isn't difficult years to go through that but I would argue that those are the years that that would be I mean you're kind of entering adulthood but not even close at the same time and I just have to say I'm just I'm so sorry that that happened to you I just I I know you said you're working through it and he's used it for good but at the same time it's just like that's just not something anyone should have to go through so I'm just I'm so sorry you had to go through that Carol
1: thank you I appreciate that
0: but i'm i'm just so glad that you had her speak into your life like that it wasn't that it wasn't your fault because it's so i mean it so wasn't and it so never is the victim's fault but that is such a hard reality is that that's like the hardest part of abuse is like you think some part of you did this when it just really has nothing to do mm-hmm. with you and all to do with the sin that's in their life and it's just uh, it's just such a complicated difficult sad thing and so I'm just again I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. Yeah. If you want to talk to me more about what did the second psychologist you work with recommend?
1: Yes. So at at one point what happened was my this obviously was affecting my husband and he was becoming angry because of how what had been done to me. So if you can imagine, he was he was unable to be there to protect me, right, when I was a child and so mm-hmm. but knowing that this these things had happened. So he also saw a psychologist and who's a Christian psychologist and helped him work through that process. So then I saw this psychologist with my husband. Wow. And together so that we could work through some of this stuff together. And then this psychologist actually he helped me actually write letters to the people who had abused me. Mm. And I remember when he asked me. One day he said, would you like it? Because, you know, for, it's very therapeutic to write letters, but I felt really strong. Like I actually needed to do something because I was attending a group. It was called the journey groups at the time at Elmbrook church, which was a, was a very healing part of my journey. And I later went on to walk alongside other people by co- helping co-lead those groups as well. So he asked me, do I want him to give me some suggestions on what that would look like? Cause he said, I, you need to ask for things. And my first response was, well, I don't want anything from them. And then he said, well, do you want me to explain what that means? And he said, I said, sure, I would love for you to do that. So he said, if it's good, ask for it. And that's something actually that, that has never left me. I think about that in life today. If it's good, ask for it, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, because it doesn't mean that you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. But it's good to ask, right? Mm-hmm. We don't have control over it. So one of the things that, like I did letters separate to the man who um, sexually abused me, and then to his wife who threatened to kill me if I ever told anyone. And so in in the letter I sent to him, one of the things that I asked him for was for him to tell his wife what he had done. was for him to go to see a therapist to get help, was for him to go to the police. Now, like my psychologist said, is it likely that he'll do those things? No. But if it's good, ask for it. It'll plant mm-hmm. thoughts and, you know, ideas that are healthy things for, for this person's own healing. Mm-hmm. And for her, you know, I, one of the things I asked is for her to ask her husband, was it, did this happen more than once? Because when things were found out, what happened was the man's wife's little girl came running downstairs and saw him um, kissing me and touching me and she ran back upstairs and told her mom. Mm-hmm. And so when that all came to, the, to a head and they confronted me, the adults did, I was called a homewrecker and a slut and accused of having an affair with a married man. Mm-hmm. So then they met with me and asked me how many times this had happened? And this is back in rotary day phones. So I have to tell that because Listeners now would be thinking, if someone picks up a phone, you know who it is, unless it's a blocked call, right? And so when I was left at his sister's house, waiting for them to have a confrontation with me that I didn't know about, the phone rang and I picked it up and it was him. And he, he told me that he needs me to say it was the first time. And so when I asked him why he said, well, because his wife is crying. Well, he knew I would, I looked up to his wife. Um, and And thought the world of her, and I would never want to hurt her. I, I'm not a person who wants to hurt anyone, but I would never want to hurt her and see her cry. So when they came in the door and they confronted me um, when they asked how many times that this had happened, I knew I needed to say that this was the first time because she had already walked in the door just uncontrollably crying and shaking, and she was screaming at me, you know, how dare you do this? Have an affair with a married man and So it was very, I I was very alone in that room because all the adults um, were putting all the blame on me, which is what perpetrators do do. They will shame the person that they harm to keep them from talking.
0: Which is just wrong on so many levels. How, I guess, did you work through, like, this was someone that you really like looked up to this woman. And then all of a sudden she's like treating you. Like, how, how do you handle that? Well, after that's a
1: really good question. How did I handle it then? Or how do I handle it now?
0: I guess maybe give me a glimpse into both.
1: Okay. Well, I, I became fearful, obviously. And at that time in my life, I had actually run away from home. And so I was living with this family where this was going on.
2: Okay.
1: And, and I had gone to live with his sister was closer to the school where I was going, and so I called my my mom to come and get me. And if you can imagine, when someone's young, th- this is when I was 15 when this all came to a head, and mm-hmm. the, the abuse had gone on for that many years because we had been neighbors to them beforehand, mm-hmm. and I I babysat for them, and so that is something I guess that I would say too is you know to any listeners, um, if you have your children and not to cause fear inside of people but to to use some wisdom when you know for who who do your children who do they babysit for whose homes are they going into? you know do you just just because they can make money is it would you still not want to know who the person's home is where they are going to
0: you know that's really good advice and something that I actually have never thought of like just that protection aspect like obviously we can't live in fear but like you said Mm -hmm. like just really making sure like you're knowing the hearts of the people that. I guess you're allowing into your kids' lives because, I mean, to me, I mean, I'm sure this is something you've worked through, but like, I, I like, I wanted someone, I'm sure you felt the same way. Like I wish someone would have protected you in those instances and like not let you be in a, in going over to a house where this was happening in some of those things. And I just, I just can't imagine how that, that would have felt to just like you said, the fear, and these are adults who you should be able to trust and just all of those different aspects.
1: Well, and my childhood prior to that, okay, prior to age 11, Mm -hmm. I grew up in a home where my mom was a Christian and my dad, my dad would go like to church Christmas and Easter kind of time. Mm -hmm. And there were seven children in our home and I was the middle and we were a poor family. So, you know, being able to babysit and make some money, obviously was something that I was interested in. And then I I received attention there because in my home, things were so busy, Mm -hmm. so so that's part of the drawing that I wanted to to spend time, you know, in this home and with this family. And my dad was an alcoholic and I was afraid of my own dad. He had never done anything to, to physically hurt me, but I had witnessed his anger um, towards my mom. And there were some times that he, that he, he was scary to me. So that, so that is what set me up for, for the abuse because I was I was needing someone in my life at that time who was going to care about me, who was going to love me. And, and the woman, I felt like she was like a second mom to me, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: even though she wasn't that, you know, she wasn't, she was in her early twenties. So it's not like she was that much older, but I looked up to her because she was very caring and she loved her kids and Mm -hmm. had time for them.
0: Right. Yeah, I didn't know that part of your story because, like, I mean, that's a whole nother layer Mm -hmm. that I'm sure you had to work through. I mean, I have shared my mom was an addict. You having a dad that was an addict, like, that's a whole nother layer that you have to work through. And then on top of that, the abuse you experience. Again, I'm just, I'm so sorry that you had to deal with that. But I'm so, also so proud of you, like, your testimony and all this that you're sharing with me. Like, the fact that so many people, I think take the trauma and this is no discredit to them because trauma is terrible and we've both been through some really hard things but you go down two paths you can pick your two paths and one is like you can numb it or you can choose things to get away from it and truly I believe that some people like not that it's out of their control but that's all they know is they don't know the love of Jesus. So like that's the road they go down is like they have to cover up all this pain they're experiencing and whether it's drugs or alcohol, but I'm just so thankful for people like you who are able to share your story and be like, Hey, like you don't have to go down that path. Like I've experienced this and I've experienced this and there there's a road you can go down where it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but you can choose the Jesus path and he's going to be with you the whole entire way. Um, So I'm just so proud of you for not only choosing that path, but being brave enough to then share your story, which is a very vulnerable one. And it's one with, so many different layers of hurt, but the fact that now you're using that to encourage others. So just thank you, Carol. Thank you so much. You're
1: welcome. Thank you.
0: I do. If we, is it okay if we, I ask you about something like complete, well, not completely different. Cause I'm, I'm guessing that this really got started because of what you experienced the Mica ministry. Tell me about that.
1: So back in 2012, um, our pastor's wife actually held a meeting, um, to ask, people if they're interested in learning more about the human trafficking issue. And I went to that initial meeting um, because my heart was so breaking um, because I thought I knew that what I had gone through for PTSD, all of the um, flashbacks and the memory and, and the hard work that I was working through, that I wasn't alone and I knew other people were suffering from that. And then I thought human trafficking is just a whole nother level of this. And so I attended that meeting and then I began, you know, we had other meetings and in 2014, well, well, I don't remember that exact year for our pastor's wife, but she ended up going to school to finish her degree. And she is a licensed, I'm not sure if it's a psychologist or a therapist, but she meets with individuals. And so she stepped back from leading that ministry and myself and another woman were, were asked to co-lead it. And so since 2014, so it's been 10 years now that some really cool things have happened. you know, we've attended some, some meetings that the DOJ and different organizations have put on. And we, at one particular meeting, we learned about a nonprofit, non-government organization in Texas, they were doing, filling dignity bags is what they called them Mm -hmm. and giving them to the law enforcement so that they could give them to victims of trafficking. And it was really helping their community. And so my co-leader, she reached out to the FBI and I reached out to the Milwaukee police department to say, Hey, would this be something that, that you could use? And they said, Oh, absolutely. We could use this. So we did some more research to find out, you know, the company, the organization that was doing it in Texas and you know, what could we do here locally? So for 10 years now, we've been filling restoration bags. In fact, we're going to be having a, an event coming up this weekend at our church to fill restoration bags and what the, what, what the things that are in the bag are to help restore the dignity of the victims and like the clothing items that they may get them because their clothing may be considered evidence. Mm -hmm. There's things like a a teddy bear, which is a very comforting thing that's in each of them as a tie blanket or otherwise a different, nice soft warm blanket, you know, (coughs) besides the things that people would use need for hygiene and different things like that and so we have received just um, remarkable feedback from the Milwaukee Police Department the FBI on you know how how this impacts um, the survivors when they get them I personally um, have walked alongside and I still am a couple survivors from my local area and one of them did receive um, one of these bags and the blanket and you know to to know someone, uh, w- w- what a privilege it is to know someone who has received us because normally you, you'll you never meet the individual and that's totally okay. But that God could use us in different ways. You know, our lane is our mission at Micah ministry is to, to raise awareness about this injustice of human trafficking and, and then to look for practical ways to provide hope to survivors. And in that as well, it's been really cool because I've Actually made some some friendships. I would actually call them friends um, of mm-hmm. mine from the FBI, from the Milwaukee Police Department, and also from the U.S. Attorney's Office, because they're they're genuine people who really care about these victims.
0: That's just incredible. That's absolutely incredible. What was what was their reaction when they got this? You said it's a what remind me of the name of the kit it's a restoration bag restoration bag rest yeah. what was what was their reaction when they received it
1: the law enforcement I, i'm assuming you're meaning
0: no that you said you got to meet with someone who was a survivor that received oh,
1: yes so i wasn't personally i i mean i'm walking alongside them after they received the bag so i i didn't actually give it to the person oh you know, i got you but one of the survivors that we My co-leader and I know, and we've walked alongside, you know, we are able to drop off one of the tie blankets at her house for her. And it was very, very well received, you know, just Mm -hmm. to have something warm to wrap around you and to remind you that you're loved and you're not alone.
0: Right, like I just can't imagine like getting through finally to the other side of this like battle and then all of, you just receive this gift that is just full of just like god's love and all these people who are thinking of you like that's it's such a good idea and such a cool ministry and truthfully i'm gonna be honest like i didn't know we had that at northbrook and i'm so mm-hmm. like i'm just really excited to learn more about it so mm-hmm. thank you for leading that that's just mm-hmm. I don't it's, know, changing it's lives
1: a privilege i honestly feel like that. that's my passion is to to provide hope to people, to vulnerable people, broken people, and, you know, also to, for protection for children.
0: Amazing. Amazing. I guess a piece I want to ask is part of that really healing for you knowing that, I guess you wouldn't call it obviously trafficking. It's a little bit different, but still you experienced abuse. These people are experiencing abuse. Is that a really like healing thing for you to be able to then give back? How is that?
1: That's a great question. Yes, that is exactly what it is. It's very healing for me to know that like I had said, I think earlier when we talked that the things that happened in my life, I know I think of the story of Joseph and there's a scripture in Genesis 50, I think it's verse 20, but don't quote me on that. The things that the enemy meant to destroy his life, God turned them around and used Mm -hmm. them for good. And so for me to think that you know, there's someone, an enemy who wanted to literally destroy my life and that God can bring healing and redemption to my life so that out of that pain, he doesn't waste pain. My, you know, that my heart is burdened for people who are, who are abused Mm -hmm. and it could be abandonment, neglect, you know, any form of abuse and trauma, my heart just, my heart hurts for people. And so that I can say, okay, God, what do you want me to do about that? And that's where I think sometimes we can, as Christians, miss it. That you know we can go to church and we can pray and we can do things. You know, be Sunday Christians. Maybe I would call mm-hmm. it. Yeah, we can, we can forget about that because the problem of human trafficking can just be overwhelming. It's like it's so big. It's you know, so it's easier to look the other way sometimes. Mm-hmm. My thing is, you know, yes, there there's oh, statistics. There's so many people being trafficked, but we're not going to look at like the hundreds of thousands or millions of people made traffic, but we have the opportunity to say, well, who the people in our local community that we are able to make an impact if it's one person, if it's five, if it's 10, whoever it is, you know, that's who God holds me responsible for as a co-leader in this ministry. If I hear something, so what can we do to help bring hope, right? right? I don't want like, the whole overwhelming numbers to keep me from doing something for one.
0: Right. That's such a good point. I do think people, people get overwhelmed by all the different issues going on in the world. And it's like, it just takes one. Think about that one person now that you have a relationship with, that you got to see the impact of your actions and the actions you took from your abuse to now make a difference in the lives of others. Just, it's just incredible. So incredible.
1: You did say something that I just wanted to address. Cause you said that, you know, she's on the other side of the trafficking now, you know, when she received the blanket she's on the other side of the trafficking, maybe she's away from her trafficker, but now she has all the trauma. and the right. You know what I mean? So, so now she has this, a lot of stuff that she has to deal with. And, you know, in her life, kind of like in her, and I'm not comparing mine to hers, but there's a many years to work through those layers that now she'll have how that will be affecting her.
0: That's a good point. Yeah. So it's like, you're on the other side of it physically, but mentally it's almost like just the beginning. Exactly. So again, for you to not only share what you're doing as part of a ministry, but then also be vulnerable to share enough about um, a bit about your journey through the mental health piece of it. Again, it's just like all these different like puzzle pieces that God put together in your life. So you have this like testimony that's like, hey, like here are all the different pieces that you're going to work through. But at the end of it, you're going to be okay because you have Jesus. And not saying that like everything's like, I'm sure there's still days where it's really hard, but still you're on the other side of it, able to then share what Jesus has done in your life, which is just so cool.
1: Thank you. Yes, there's definitely, you know, it's, it's been a journey. And again, this was back from 2006, and we're in 2024. So mm-hmm. I, I honestly will tell you, though, it probably took me about seven years mm. to feel like I was at a place healthy enough, working through my trauma, and I con- continue to when different things arise, but to really be able to come to a place of healing Where I felt, and and the interesting thing of that is 2014 is when I began co leading Micah ministry. Wow. So, you know, it took me that long though to process and work through and believe and not believe the lie that it was my fault and, you know, wrestle with God over things. So, it's so when I think about, you know, people being abused and neglected or trafficked, and I think about the amount of time people need to be able to heal, mm-hmm. you know, if they don't have a loving support system, because I, I believe I referred to that earlier, you know, I had people within my church, my husband, some individuals that were a close friend to, to help me, you know, to be there for me, understand when I wasn't able to be, when I was in a place where I really needed other people to help me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if people don't have that support system, I, the healing I think it would just take so much longer right. and that already was seven years,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, to come to a place. So I, I am so grateful for the people that God has brought across my path. And so I do a word for the year and my word this year is Emmanuel God mm-hmm. with us. And he started showing me that a couple months ago, as I was walking through some things. And so I, I see that God's God shows up in this world through his people God with us means his people, you know, Jesus was skin on. So how can we come alongside people who are hurting, whether it's financial and, you know, people who are vulnerable, whether it's people who need food, whether it's speaking truth into someone's story, you know, being loving and supportive, that's Emmanuel, God with us. We are his hands and feet. And if we're not sensitive and being aware of that, think of the people who need Jesus and they need hope. And, and that's our responsibility as believers.
0: Mm -hmm. Agreed. What would be your advice for someone who maybe doesn't have that support system that you were talking about? I do believe it's our duty to like make when we are experiencing healing to then reach out to other people to make that step. But if someone's on the other end and they're like, I don't even know where to go from here. I don't know who to find. Do you have any practical steps to find that support system?
1: Mm, That's a great, that's a great question. I guess I would, if someone was listening to this podcast today and they needed someone to listen to them or to talk to them, I would be, first of all, I would be willing to, to talk to someone and meet with them, to listen to their story and speak truth into it, to, Personally, I would do that because I know what's been done for me to help me get to the other side. The other thing I would suggest is to look for, see if your church, if there's a church in the area, if you don't attend a church, see if there's a church in the area that has, whether it's a licensed counselor, they, they, the chances are you probably won't find that at every church um, to do some research and, you know, to look for that. But not everyone maybe will feel comfortable doing this is praying, crying out to God and saying, God, mm-hmm. I need your help. Mm -hmm. So, you know, first of all, asking him, God, I need your help. Come and direct me. And if they're not willing to do that, that part of it, then it's a lot of work on your own, Mm -hmm. you know, but God tells us that if we cry out to him, that he will help us. And so I Mm -hmm. can say that in my life, there's been many, many times I have cried out to God and he's not failed me through this Mm -hmm. journey. He has shown up through, through his people,
0: Mm -hmm. you know, through his people. Absolutely. He's so good. God's so good. And I'm just I'm really thankful that he brought you now into my life because I'm just feeling so encouraged after hearing just every single piece of your story. I'm just I'm just like almost. Usually I have question right away and I've just been so present, like listening to your story because I'm just so inspired by it that I haven't been thinking of my next question, which I try to be present with everybody, but sometimes I can be like thinking of something right away and I'm just more in like awe of just God's goodness and also just your strength. So if I seem a little delayed asking questions, that's why. But I do have one more um, to wrap everything up. You're a children's author, which is so cool. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm looking at your book right now, The Day That I Got Thrown Away.
1: Oh, very cool. Um,
0: amazing. I, I'm i looking at on my, I have it on my Amazon account, but this is getting bought because I just found out about it, which is, it's just incredible. My friend, Emily, shout out to M, who's the one who introduced us. She mm-hmm. told me all about this book and the fact that you read it to her class every year, which is so cool tell me about your book. I'm going to put the Amazon link in the bio to this. So anybody who can, who wants the book can go out and buy it, but tell me, tell me about your inspiration for the book and maybe just a little glimpse of what it's about without giving too much away.
1: Okay. Thank you. So I used to work at, at an elementary school in the town where I live and um, I was in the cafeteria and I love children. And so I had an opportunity to come through my lunch line and, and then I would stand by the by the trash cans afterwards as they would be throwing their food away. And, you know, as kids are, they're excited. They're running outside right after from the cafeteria to go to um, recess. So they're not thinking, they're rushing. And so one day, this little boy, he accidentally threw his fork and spoon in the garbage when he dumped his tray. And I said, I I screamed, help, somebody get me out of here. And this little boy looked up at me. I think he was in kindergarten, looked up at me. And I said, you threw your fork or your spoon away. You need to pick it up. It's crying. And they just started laughing and think it was the funniest thing. Well, then the next day he did the same thing because he wanted to hear me. me Oh no. No, no. So anyway, so it made me think, oh, maybe I need to write a little poem, a little story. And I had, there was a little girl who had come to our school. Actually, she was the inspiration for it because she had come from the Ukraine. And I connected with, with her and her mom and she would come to my house before school in the morning. I would help her mom watch her because of her mom's job as we developed a relationship. And she, I was trying to help her learn some English and reading. So we would read books at my home. And so she said, oh, you should write, you should write a book. You should make a book. And so I thought, hmm, when I told her what I did at school, so I wrote this rhyming story and about this fork that gets thrown away so that's where the inspiration came from and my my heart was not even realizing it until a friend pointed it out to me after the fact she said you know carol that's your story Mm -hmm. the day that i got thrown away because the day that i got thrown away i was in a vulnerable place when when people yelled at me and when this woman yelled at me and threatened that she'd kill me if i ever told anyone and in that moment, I believe God was with me, Emmanuel, God with me. I believe He was there because could they have chosen to end my life? Sure, because I could have told, and then their life could have been different, right? They, so I'm thankful that it didn't go to that degree. That I have a life to live. Mm-hmm. But so the day that my that that I got thrown away, God reached in, and He picked me up out of that trash, mm-hmm. and He washed me off. As I ran to him and so that's it took for me it's pretty it was pretty what's the word I want to use surreal mm-hmm. <laughs> to think that here I wrote this fun story to teach children you know about being in a lunchroom some respect things about respect and different things and that here it was my own story and I didn't realize it at the time
0: yeah well that's that's God isn't it he just mm-hmm. he intertwines everything and every dream we have, whether it's a children's story or whatever it is, it's like he he can make that and make it something so beautiful that you're like, I didn't even realize I was making that. That's,
1: <laughs> that's
0: God. That's God. Well, Carol, I just, I'm so thankful that I got to talk to you today. I'm so thankful that you were brave enough to be on the show and tell me about your story and just share your heart and your love for, love for Jesus. And all that God's done in your life. So I, again, I'm so fortunate that I got to meet you and I just so appreciate you being on the show.
1: Well, thank you for having me. Um, Thank you for being so real with me and making me feel comfortable talking with you.
0: You guys, if you loved this episode or you enjoyed any of my other episodes, please, please, please give a rating on whatever platform you're listening. It helps the show so much and means the world to me to hear your feedback. If you'd like to follow along with more from me and my friends and just hear more about my day-to-day life, please follow me on social media, which is Be Brave with Emma B on Instagram or Facebook. I so look forward to hearing from you guys and becoming friends.